Joshua chapter 3. When we left off uh, last week, we were in a place where Joshua, all his, you know, throughout his transition into leadership, way before he really was leading, Moses had prepared him for this moment. God had told Moses, Moses, you're not going in, but Joshua will lead the people. He will take them in. And he said, I want you to encourage and strengthen Joshua. You know, a lot of times our idea of encouragement is to flatter, or our idea of encouragement is to find that one thing good we can say about someone. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with finding something good. I think that's a good thing. But what Moses used to strengthen and encourage Joshua was not a reminder of Joshua's strengths, but a reminder of God's strength. See, because true courage does not come from you saying, I can do this. True courage comes from you saying, God can do this. And if he's with me, just as we sang, nothing is impossible. That's the kind of courage that's going to take us into the promised land. Because let's just face it. Let's face it, guys. When the three Hebrew children stood in front of Nebuchadnezzar, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as their Hebrew names were, when they stood in front of Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't say, I think we'll live because we have fire-retardant clothing. They didn't say, I think we'll live because we're tough and we can handle a little bit of heat. Now, they knew that if anything was going to save them, it was the power of God. The things God's calling us into in, in, in this season, in this time, are things that our own strength is not, is not sufficient for. Our own courage would fail us if we were doing it on our own. So we have to be able to, to say, if I'm going to encourage somebody, listen, we all say this and we know this, but the Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, we that labor are laboring in vain. We're wasting our time. If we believe that, then that should be reflected in how we encourage one another. I believe in saying a good word to someone. You know, I I believe in, you know, if somebody's doing something well, tell them they're doing it well. But I really think that the kind of encouragement we need in this day and age is not based on what you're doing well or where your strengths lie, but your real encouragement's gonna come from saying, God is with you. And if God is with you, what do you have to be afraid of? Be strong and be courageous for the Lord goes with you wherever you go. Because the courage that we're going to need in these days is going to be based entirely on who he is. And that's more than enough. So Moses encouraged and strengthened Joshua. God then later said the very same thing to Joshua. Be strong and courageous for I'm going with you. I'll go before you. No man will stand in front of you. God says this to him three different times. And then when Moses stands in front of his leaders, his, his leaders of his army, they say, only be strong and of great courage, for God is with you. It was the theme of the, of the day. The, the word of the Lord was, was being said, not through, just through Moses, not just directly to Joshua, but even from the people that God was calling Joshua to lead. When we get to Joshua 3, there's, a, there's the transition. You know, we could talk about the promised land all we want, but talking about the promised land is an entirely different thing than walking into the promised land. There's a a moment in this story that I particularly like, and it's when God tells Joshua to tell his leaders to go throughout the camp getting people ready. He says, get the people ready for tomorrow I will show my wonders. In fact, we'll read that. 
But I like that moment because I imagine these leaders going from campfire to campfire, rousing people, going from tent to tent, stirring people up. Because these guys had been talking about the promised land all their lives. They're about to see it happen. We need to hear this because I truly believe that, that we as Christians are really good about talking about stuff. We are. We, we're good at talking about it. We're good at, at saying amen when someone else talks about it. But talking has to lead to the action. Talking, hearing the word of God has to lead to faith, right? And faith produces action. So uh, it, it's a great thing that we can stand here together and we're going to talk about the word of God. The word of God's going to come in and produce faith in our hearts, but something comes out of that. So here's what God says, and here's what Joshua does. In Joshua chapter 3, it says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you, uh, between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you will know that the living God is among you, that he will surely, assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. It was my aim to say that all in one breath. <laughs> Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing overhead of you into the Jordan. Now then take from yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Now, there's a lot in this. And more than a history lesson, I'd like to, us to take away some, some things from this section of Scripture that just go beyond knowing what they went through. I'd like for us to take something away tonight that'll be able to help you in your life, that'll be able to build you up in your life, and uh, really to see what, what we're going to do when, when a time of transition and a new season comes in your life. How do you handle that? You know, Solomon, we always talk about how wise he was, but what Solomon asked of the Lord was, was not to be the smartest guy in the room. What Solomon asked for the Lord was he asked for wisdom, but how he asked it was interesting. One of the things he said to the Lord is he said, he said, Lord, grant me a hearing heart. It's literally in the Hebrew, it says, grant me a hearing heart. Some translations say an understanding heart. So what he's asking of God is give me a heart that can hear your leadership, your wisdom, your guidance. Give me a heart that'll hear you because that's how I'll lead the people. Solomon came into the kingship. Now, 
His problems came in when his pride came in. And what God accomplished by his work, Solomon tried to keep through his work. We don't need to get too far into that, but God had built, a, had, had secured Israel's borders. God had given David political alliances that, that would help build the temple. Solomon tried to keep Israel safe by making connections with other nations, by marrying their, their daughters, by marrying into these different nations and, and creating allies that way, which ultimately led to his destruction. But he came into the kingship pretty humble, and that's why God honored him, right? One of the things that Solomon said is he said, I don't know anything. He, and he said this to God. He said, God, I don't know how to go out, and I don't know how to go in. You ever thought about what he means by that? Like, do you really think he just means, I, I don't know how to go through doors. Like, I, I get nervous. I don't know, should I, I'm a king now. Do I walk backwards? Like, does he, he's not struggling with the physics of walking through a doorway. What does he mean? I don't know how to go out and I don't know how to go in. He understands that a leader, in fact, any person that wants to do anything for the Lord is going to have to navigate seasons in your life where you go out of one season and you go into another where you go out of one place and you go into another. No matter where you are in your life, God's going to call you to places and seasons and times in your life, in your walk with him, where you have to go out of one thing and into another thing. How do you do that? How do you transition? Some of you are in a place of transition right now. This is a transitional time in your life. Some people, that transition is when they, they retire from their job that they've worked at for years, and they say, Lord, how can I serve you with all this extra time I have? Some of you, it's a promotion. Some of you, it doesn't look like a promotion, but it's a promotion in the kingdom of God because he's putting you where he wants you to be. Some of you, it's, it's a new place. Some of you, it's just a, a stepping into greater things. We mentioned this on Sunday, but the life that God's called you to is, is growth, and growth means change. We'll all have to go through that. If you're growing, you'll, you'll change. And there's times where you just outgrow certain things. And, and um, I believe, and in, in my own life I've seen this, things that fit my life five years ago don't fit my life now. And it doesn't mean that we have to bash the old season, which I think people do in, in churches all the time, right? Do you remember when we used to sing that, that old school music? Oh, man, that was terrible. Do you remember when we used to dress like that? Do you remember? You know what? It was a season, and God was in it. Let's be happy and honor it. Just because you're not in that season now doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it then. Let's move forward. It shows insecurity when we do that, right? When we're insecure, we have to bash the other thing to prove we're right now. I thank God. You look through the historical moves of God that have moved the church forward, the revivals that have moved the church forward. And they didn't do everything right. But that's what they'll say about us someday, hopefully, is that they saw a revival, they saw the hand of the Lord, but they didn't do everything right. It's a mistake for us to judge that season by the season we're in right now. You're going to have to learn how to transition. We're going to have to learn how to move. Some of you, God transitioned you from one church to the other. That's tough. Man, I've never had to do that because <laughs> I was, you know, kind of born into this church. <laughs> but I know it's not easy. I know God moves people sometimes. You know what? As a pastor, I've had people move out of this church 
And I've known it was, a, it was a God thing. Some people think that can't be possible. You're not supposed to ever have someone leave your church. Sometimes you are. And that's okay. And let's just be okay with that. Now, some people leave for dumb reasons. I'm sure if, if I weren't pastoring, I might have left for a dumb reason. That's just humanity. And that's, sometimes it's just not our business, right? It's not our business to judge why somebody left. But I'll tell you, sometimes God will move you. So what do you do when he does? Because how you leave one place is how you go in the other place. I think we can all admit in whatever area of our life, we've all left things weird. We've all left things wrongly, and sometimes we've left things rightly. And, 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 and let's see how God wants us to do that. We're going to talk a little bit less about leaving, and we're going to talk a little bit more about going in right now. Let's talk about promotion. Talk about uh, God taking you to a different level. Let me ask you a question that's going to make you a little uncomfortable. Do you think that God wants to exalt you? I hear some yeses. You know why it makes some people uncomfortable? Because it doesn't feel very humble to say that. But the paradox is that God says, the humble I will exalt. So if you want to be humble, you, you're going to be exalted. If you're uncomfortable with being ex exalted, then you're going to be uncomfortable being humble because that's what he wants to do. And yet the scripture says if you exalt yourself, you get knocked down a peg, right? Can we just settle this question right now? Does God want us to be humble? Yes. God exalts the humble. So if God wants you to be humble, can we all just agree that that probably means God wants to exalt you? What that looks like, that's up to him. And the moment we try to exalt ourselves, we're in trouble. But you have to be okay with the fact that God will exalt you. Let's just figure out what exalt means. It means to lift up. It means to be promoted. Go up a level. Right? So Jesus, we just quoted this earlier. Jesus said, I, I, nobody takes a light and shoves it under the bed or shoves it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand. One of the things that Jesus said to the churches in Revelation is he said, if you don't get this together, I might have to remove the lampstand. Well, what is that lampstand? I've heard people say, it's your, well, it, it must have been the minister there. No, it's not the minister. The lampstand, if we use Jesus' analogy from the Gospels, is the thing that gives you influence in your community. It gives you, a, it gives you a voice that goes beyond just the immediate people that are gathered in the room. If God puts us on a lampstand, it means we're going to affect our city, our region, our nation. So what's he saying to the church in Revelation where he said, I might have to take it away? If they're not representing him, he's not going to put them on a pedestal and say, look at, look at these guys. But he wouldn't say that if he hadn't already put them on a lampstand. God wants to put his lights on lampstands so that the world can see him through his church. The church is God's, God's new covenant way of showing the world what he looks like. Showing the world the kingdom of God. We can all admit we have sometimes messed that up a little bit, but God in his great mercy has seen beyond our flaws and has given us his grace that we would show the world what he looks like, and they're seeing it. Now, in the old covenant, that was Israel's job. Israel's job was not to be insular and just say, thank God we're blessed for the sake of us. God had told Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know that ultimately, that was talking about Jesus. 
how he was a light to the Gentiles, how through him the whole world was blessed. But God said it over and over about his people Israel. He said, I want to show my nature, my signs. I want to show the world what I look like. I'm going to use you. I'm going to show them how good I am, how great I am, and I'm going to use you to do it. God wants to do that to us too. Scripture says, Jesus said it over and over again. Those that exalt themselves will be humbled, but those that humble themselves will be exalted. So God tells Joshua, I'm going to exalt you in front of all these people. It's not Joshua's place to say, oh, no, Lord, not me, Lord, no, Lord. Oh, no, Lord, I'm, I'm just a meager servant. No, Joshua knows in order for him to do the will of God, he's going to have to be exalted. And he's been humble. He can be trusted with that. I, I love what David McGrew said one time. He said, uh, why did Jesus say the meek will inherit the earth? Well, they're the ones that can be trusted with it. They're the ones that are actually going to do something good with it. They can be trusted with that. So Joshua, God says, I am going to exalt you in front of all these people. I'm going to promote you. What did that look like? Well, these people have been following Moses. Now Moses said, Joshua will lead you in. But the Bible also tells us, unless God exalts somebody, you're not really exalted. Do you notice that Jesus didn't say, the humble, I'm going to tell them to, to go ahead and exalt themselves. No, he says the humble will be exalted. That means there is an exalter and it's God. He's the one that exalts. He's the one that, that brings down. He's the one that lifts up. So if you're going to be promoted, it's got to come from God. It can't come from you pushing your way to the top. It can't come from you manipulating your way to a position of authority. It can't come from you making it happen. It has to be God. Joshua was to be demonstrably, demonstrably exalted by God. Here's the deal. Moses already said, this is the guy. But until God said it, the people wouldn't really follow in the same way. God had to say it. So let me ask you a question. Why did the Israelites have to cross the Jordan River as, off, as if on dry land? Why, did they why couldn't they build rafts? There's no Egyptian army chasing them. They've been camped in the same area for a long time. There is no reason, strategically, that they can't just cross the river like everybody else would cross a river. Now, many scholars say it was high flood season, so the river was high. But it's not the Mississippi. It's, it's, it's not a big, giant river. They could have built rafts, built something. They could have crossed it that way. But God gave them very specific instructions. This is why he wanted them to cross, miraculously. And he tells us, let's look at what he says. Let's just reread what he says. First of all, what did he say in verse 5? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God wanted to do wonders amongst them. He wanted to do something that would make them stand back and be amazed at him. He said, this day, now in verse 7, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. What's he talking about this day? This day when I split the Jordan. So one of the reasons for God doing this great miracle was to confirm Joshua's place as leader. To show that God was with Joshua. That was important. Because you, you, a leader that nobody's following is just a guy taking a walk, as the old saying goes, right? You shall moreover... 
He tells them to command the priests. He tells them to go. And then he says in verse 10, by this you will know that the living God is among you and that he, he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. <laughs> I did it again. I'm going to be an auctioneer. Um, here's the thought. Number one, he wanted to exalt Joshua by a miracle. Exalt Joshua. Number two, and this is probably bigger than the first one, he wanted to show Israel that God was with them, that God was mighty, and that God was going to get it done. Because they're going to walk into the promised land with thoughts of how are we going to do this. And he's saying, I'm just going to show you from the start, I'm doing this. This is on me. This is my work. Watch what I can do. I'm going to make the water stand up in a heap. I remember uh, having dinner with uh, a group of ministers, and I just got to sit there. I was a teenager, and I just got to sit there and listen, which is a smart thing to do. If you get invited to a bunch of really amazing heroes of the faith, and they're, t- they're telling stories about what God is doing, just, just eat your seafood and listen. And I got to do that at Papado's in Dallas, Texas. Bill Bozanski, how many of you ever heard Bill Bozanski, right? Bill Bozanski, Ukrainian minister uh, who you know, primarily ministered to the United States, but he went back to the Ukraine and he was ministering to a group of Romani. We, we sometimes call them gypsies, but they like to be called Romani. And uh, these people are kind of nomadic. They're, they're not really accepted by their governments. And yet uh, these people had, had, you know, built little villages and, and he had gone to preach the gospel to them. And he began to preach what God could do, the great things that you could do when you have faith in God. And there was such rain when he was there that, that the river was flooding all over and the, the storms were coming. In fact, by the time he was preaching, it, was, it had already been raining quite a bit and the river was rising. And the fear was that it was going to flood their village. It was going to destroy homes. They were all a little bit afraid of it. And he had happened to be preaching on faith and he told them, guys, do you think that we can command this storm to stop and it'll stop? Well, these... Gypsy, Romani, whatever you want to call them, had just gotten saved. So, of course, what do they say? Yeah, why not, right? You have to be educated to not believe God. You have to be trained not to believe God. When you hear the gospel and it produces faith in your life, that's the natural response. Of course, God can do it. And so they they said, well, yeah. And he said, I'm telling you right now, the rain will stop. And I forgot what the time was, but he gave it a time. He said, and he said, by the word of the Lord, it was a prophetic word, the rain will stop at this time. And it did. But the river was rising and it had been flooding the communities all the way up up river. And so one of these these newly born again gypsy men, Romani, whatever, he comes and he comes to the edge of the river. And the river has gone quite a bit up the the bed. It's, It's come quite a bit up the shore. And his house is right here. He doesn't want his house to get flooded. It's just a little shack, but it's all he's got. He takes a stick and he plants it in the ground. And he says, in the name of Jesus, you won't go past this stick. Well, they took pictures. Brother Bill said, he he said it was in the paper. They took pictures of the river going through their town and it heaped up in the middle until it got through their town. And then it flowed like regular water does and, and flooded out into the banks. Can you imagine that? Guys, we all know that doesn't happen in nature. Water doesn't pile up. But it happened in Joshua's time. It piled up in a heap. Isn't that cool? This is what God can do. So, so the people of God are going to see, God's going to show them from the start, look what I can do. Notice something. I want you to see how he, what he calls himself. 
over and over again, he doesn't just say God's going to do this. He says it'll come about, verse 13, verse 11 actually, behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. This is different language than he's used most of the other time he's talked to them. He is, he's, he's magnifying himself here. He's saying the Lord of all the earth, the Lord that created this river, the Lord that created the planet, the Lord of all the earth, not just the God of the Israelites, but the Lord of all the earth is going to cross before you. That's a cool thought, man. The Lord of all the earth is standing in the river with me. So, so what's, what's the river going to do? It's going to listen to the creator. It's going to listen to the Lord of all the earth. It's going to obey him. He says in verse 13, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Isn't this cool? The Lord of all the earth is going to stand and the river is going to obey him. He's, they're going to see. Now, what in the world is going to stand against us? The Lord of all the earth is with us. And the third reason, now you can come up with more reasons to this, but these are three big ones. Number one, to confirm Joshua's leadership. Number two, that they would know God is with them and God was going to get it done. And number three, here's the other thing that they find, that the other purpose of them crossing the dry, the dry land in, in the middle of a river. And that comes in Joshua chapter 5. We see what happens when they cross. It says in Joshua 5, 1, it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the, how the Lord had dried up the waters. Now remember, I say this almost every week we read this, but it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In the Hebrew, it is not just Lord as in God or master. It is Yahweh. It's his name. Jehovah, Yahweh, however you want to pronounce it, he's saying, this is the God that's doing it. Because everybody, when we use the word God, especially to them, that could mean a lot of things. But he was, he was defining himself here. The same God, Yahweh, the same God that delivered them out of Egypt, the same God that brought them through the wilderness and sustained them with bread from heaven and, and fought their battles for him, that same God dried up the water. It says when they heard about it, it doesn't say they heard how the Israelites did this. It says they heard how Yahweh did this. That their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Isn't that amazing? So I believe one of the reasons that God did this great miracle was to show his power to the nations and a take away their fight before they ever had to fight. God said, look, this is, what, this is what you're up against. You remember the great city Jericho. Now, come on, guys. You remember that when the spies went into the promised land, they were terrified. One of the things that terrified them was not just the giants, but what else? The forts. And there was no greater fortified city in the area than Jericho. Jericho was probably one of the cities that these Israelites' parents ran away from and got freaked out from. But by the time Joshua and the Israelites crossed the River Jordan, those people in Jericho are terrified of the Israelites. The Bible says they're holed up in their walls, terrified. 
So I'd say crossing the river, not on rafts, but on dry land, served a lot of good purpose. And I want to just show you something here because as we come into a place of promotion, and God will do this. He'll, he'll bring you in a different season. He'll bring you in a higher levels. He'll bring you, he'll promote you in areas. Now remember, like I said before, sometimes what God calls promotion, the world doesn't recognize at first. I have a pastor friend in BC who has been a full-time pastor for, I don't know how many years, decades. And he just recently took a job at Starbucks. Not because he needed the money, but because he said, I'm at a good point in my life. Kids are graduating, going away. I, I want to meet my community. I want them to see me. I want to get to know them. So he took a job at Starbucks, still pastoring. He didn't stop pastoring, but he's the pastor that works at Starbucks. Now, he said one of the hardest moments of that was when people you know pull up in the drive-thru and you recognize their voice. And you know you're going to have to see them when they get to the window. And they're going to think, What happened? Why has God forsaken you? <laughs> right? Do, you need, do we need to pass a hat around? Can we? But he didn't take it because he needed the cash. Now, re realize not every pastor has to do this, that God told him to do it, so he did it. Now, most of his friends, even his pastor friends would say, that's not a promotion, man. Kids go into Starbucks right after, I mean, Starbucks is a cool job, but kids go right after high school into Starbucks. But for him, it was, because it was what God was calling him to do. And God was promoting him in his community. Because now he's having conversations with people he never had conversations with before. Now he's having influence in areas he didn't have influence before. I call that a promotion. And when God promotes, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But let's just face it, the things we're afraid of, the obstacle, the big river in our way, the giant in our way, all of those things, the things we're afraid of are the very thing that when we conquer them, that's, our, that's what God is going to use, your, your victory over these things, as your doorway, as your bridge into promotion. David needed to fight Goliath for him to be promoted. Did God raise Goliath up and train him to be a hateful man and, and insult the army of God? no. God knew Goliath was there. Somebody's going to have to fight him. And it's going to be David. And when David fights Goliath, God's going to use that moment to exalt David in the eyes of Israel. David was already anointed king before he fought Goliath, but he didn't get recognized. He, there wasn't room for him to be promoted until he fought that giant. Joshua had already been anointed to lead Israel, but God used the obstacle in his way, used the miracle of overcoming that obstacle, having victory over a river before he had victory over a city to move Joshua up a level. So the very things we're worried about, the things we come against, uh, the obstacles in our way, the, the things that are standing against us, you've got to look at them differently and realize it's not a surprise to God. God's not causing you trouble. He's not, he's not putting sin in people's hearts. But the victory that God has over this, he's going to use. Many times he uses that victory to promote you to a different level. Sometimes you've got to fight the giant. Sometimes you've got to cross the river. 
Instead of running away from these things, we got to realize God did not call you to the path of least resistance. He called you to be an overcomer. And overcomers need something to overcome. Isn't that right? Let me tell you, there were people that, that fought, let's just say World War II, for example. There's people that fought in World War II that were promoted throughout the ranks because they fought well. Now, their, their leaders did not go make backroom deals with Hitler and say, why don't you send some guys to shoot at us? Right? General, I mean, come on, guys. General Eisenhower was not saying, let's, let's, let's bribe some Germans to, to start trying to kill our guys. This will be good training. No, the enemy rose on its own. But I'll tell you, those battles made those men what they were. If a boxer wants to move up a level, what does he got to do? He's got to fight. And the more he wants to move up, the harder the opponent he's got to fight. If you want to move up, you got to fight the big guy. You got to fight the guy who nobody else wants to fight. There are fights to be had, and they're not just made up fights. God's not just creating drama. It's already in the world. The enemy's fighting. So he's going to send his people to fight, and he's going to fight on their behalf, but that battle be, may be the very thing. We look at it and we say, God, why am I fighting this battle right now? Why am I fighting? Well, number one, someone's got to fight it. If you don't fight it, somebody else is going to have to do it because there's an enemy that needs to be defeated. But number two, God's going to use this victory to move you into a different level in your life. So stop being so whiny about it and embrace the victory in Jesus Christ and say he's already overcome. Let me walk out what he's called me to do. God will use this. This seems difficult for the time. This doesn't seem fun right now. No battle feels fun when you're fighting it. But if you want to be promoted and moved, you want to grow, you're going to have to fight these battles. You're going to have to cross that river that's in your way. You're going to have to look at that big walled city and say, God, what are you going to do about this? Because if we try to avoid all these things, they'll still be there. Right? That's what Caleb understood. Caleb understood that there were still giants on the hill. And if we ignore them, they don't go away. They're still there. So give me that mountain. I'll take the giants. Because you can ignore the giants, but eventually they'll come down from the mountain. They don't go anywhere just because you, they're not like, you know, the monsters that live under a kid's bed. I don't believe in monsters and they go away. They're there. So who will fight? And I want you to see what God said. Let's just look back to what God said to the people before they were moved into that new season. Some things changed for them, by the way. I won't, I won't, we won't get too far into this, but things changed for them. And this, is, this is what we're talking about, moving into a different season. Different seasons require different things. The Bible tells us that the moment they stepped into the promised land, the manna stopped. Why? It was a different season. They were supposed to eat the fruit of that land, so the manna stopped. If you're living on what God did for you back then and say, well, remember the miracles back then, you should remember the miracles back then. And we'll talk about that in a minute, about how Israel remembered the work of the Lord. You should always remember what God did for you back then, but you can't live off yesterday's miracles. You got to remember them. You got to honor them. You got to look back and say, look what the Lord did. If God did it then, he could do it here. But you can't just live off the miracles of yesterday. You've got to expect God to move in today. Because the manna from yesterday won't feed you. 
As they moved in, they had to adjust the way they expected from God. And before they went into the promised land, what did God say? Consecrate yourself. And this is another point that's difficult to get across to some people because they don't want to hear it. But the truth is, what does consecrate mean? It means set apart. I found every time God moved me to a different place in him, maybe even a different position, there was a period where there had to be a period of consecration where I had to say, I'm going to have to step up a level myself. It's by the grace of God that I'm going to be exalted. It's by the grace of God that he's going to move me into this season. But I'm going to have to take this seriously and realize what was fine for them may not be fine now. And I want to serve God right now. I want, I want to honor God in this time. And uh, that consecration wasn't, that they went through, wasn't a permanent, uh, for the rest of your life, you, you can't eat this food. But it was a season where they had to say, we're going to set ourselves apart. We're going to set ourselves apart to God. And we're going to let him do in us what he needs to do in us. Because let's just face it. God moving you into a different season isn't just about moving you from one place to another. He's, you're, there, there's physical changes, there's natural changes, but there's got to be a shift in you. The Israelites did not just have to physically walk into the promised land. They had to, they, their mind had to change, their hearts had to change, things had to be shifted, and there had to be a time of consecration for God to do that. I love the imagery and the symbolism of the priests of the Lord carrying the Ark of the Covenant. You understand, in the Old Covenant, when they had the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God tangibly traveled with the Ark. Now, we know God is the Lord of all the earth. He fills all. God was not just contained to one place, but this was the manifest presence glory of God. So real that if they came too close to it, they would die. Why? Because they hadn't been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So when the glory of God and the sin of man come into contact, one gives way. Which is why, unfortunately, when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, they brought it on a cheap ox cart rather than Levitical priests carrying it. The, the Ark rattled off and, and began to fall off the cart and one well-meaning man tried to stabilize it so it wouldn't fall on the ground and he died. And you know who took the blame for that? David. Because God said, this is how you handle my presence. This is how you handle this ark. It's holy. So God gave them instructions on how to react to that ark. But I, I just want you to see See the symbolism here as the, the priests carry the ark. As their feet touch the water, the water splits. So they go before the Israelites. That's comforting for me because I know whatever battle, whatever new season, whatever obstacle, whatever time of transition, it's God that goes before me. God has already walked in front of me into this. So when you are opposed, when there's an attack, when there's something coming and, and you're saying, God, you need to be with me, you have to understand God has already put his foot on the battleground. God has already put his foot ahead of you. He is walking in front of you into that situation. 
Now, of course, I'm using it in, in linear terms that we can understand, but God is outside of time. So, of course, he's in front of us. Of course, he's behind us. Of course, he's with us. He's, he's not restricted to our timeline, but he steps on to that field ahead of you. He stepped into the river ahead of them. The presence of God went in front of them and made the water split. But here's the cool thing. The priests did not cross the Jordan ahead of the people. They went to the middle of the river and they stopped. Because God wanted to show them, not only do I go before you, but I stand with you in the midst of the river, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of this, I'm with you right here. And for the river to overtake you, it would have to overtake the ark. It would have to overtake me. And that's not going to happen. I'm the Lord of all creation. You see, when we mentioned the three Hebrew children. When they were in the fiery furnace, you know, that, that fourth figure that came did not show up at the door, kick the door out, and drag them out. That fourth figure stood in the fire with them. Thank God they were not harmed by that fire. And they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. The Israelites crossed the Jordan. Their feet weren't even wet. You know, I, 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 there's, there's two extremes in Christianity. There's the extreme that says once you get saved, it's all lollipops and rainbows. There'll never be another fight. Well, that's not true. We know that. But the other extreme is well, God wanted you to, he wanted you to, to just really Go through that bad stuff so that you'll carry those scars with you. And those scars someday, well, somebody will look and say, I have the same scars and blah, blah, blah. I understand what you're getting at, but Jesus is the healer of the scars. Some people say, well, I had to go through this so I can minister to other people who are going through the same thing. Listen, let me say this first. If you came out of it, absolutely God wants you to minister to people who are in it. But then if you're saying God had to make me do it, God had to make me shoot heroin in my arm so I could minister to heroin addicts? That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. God will use you to reach those same people. God's going God's to use your victory in that area to minister victory to them. But by that logic, Jesus would have had to become a leper to minister to the lepers. He would have had to receive a demon to cast demons out. He didn't do that. But when he was on the cross, he took that. Amen? He took it for us. So listen, you don't, you don't have to say, well, I guess God wanted me to go through it. You went through it, but God went through there with you. He stood, he walked in front, he stood in the middle. Now, I'm talking about as believers now. I'm not talking about your life. I'm talking about as believers. God is standing in the middle of the river with you. What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd. One of the things he said the shepherd does is when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we didn't walk around it, we walked right through it, but it's the valley of the shadow of death. Yet death does not touch them. Why? For you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So we're walking through the valley, but God is with us. So I love the symbolism that God goes in front of them. But I also love it that God stopped in the middle and said, I'm right here. God goes in front of you into the battle, but he stands in the middle with you in the battle. He goes in front of you into the furnace. He stands with you in the furnace. And I believe that God is bringing us all, and he will throughout your life, to levels of promotion that will require some consecration for you to say, if I'm going to go deeper, it's going to require more. 
right? I've talked to great men and women of God, and a phrase keeps popping up. And I don't know who first said it, but a lot of people say it. A lot of people I really respect say it. Others may, but I may not. What are they talking about? They're talking about in Hebrews where it says, letting go of the sin and weights which so easily entangles us. Listen, there's sin, but there's also weight. Sometimes when you want to run a little faster, there are things God says, let go. And you let go. Now, you know what's wrong? For you to go to another person who's got that and say, you need to let go of that too. Why? If it's not sin, if it's just something you let go, like you stopped, I don't know, stopped watching sports because it was taking up your life. Well, you don't go around all your friends and say, you all need to stop watching sports. Right? Like that's, God didn't tell you to do that. But if God told you to because he wants to take you deeper and he wants more of your time, then do it. Our hearts only have so much space. You, you, wanna, you want them to be more consumed by him. Things will fall aside. But you know what? I love, one of my fathers in the faith said this to me. He said, the grace of God always follows the voice of God. So anytime God speaks you to do something, his grace is there to get it done for you. Once you hear him, that's the time to do it. You can do it. As they crossed the river, the water stood in a heap. In chapter 4, God tells them to build, to pile 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. He says, someday your kids are going to ask you, what do these stones mean? And he said, then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel together. You know, um, a few weeks ago we read the Psalm of Moses that he wrote, Psalm 90. We didn't read the Song of Moses. That was a different thing. Moses wrote a song. And the reason he wrote it, God told him, I want you to write a song because when the Israelites get into the promised land, some of them are going to forget me. And I want you to put this song on their lips so they don't forget me. God said to them, one of the things you should never do, he says, I'm bringing you into a land and you're going to eat from vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to harvest from fields you didn't sow. When you walk into there, don't say, I did this, but remember the Lord's your God. Remember the Lord's your God who causes you to profit. Remember the Lord's your God who goes before you and goes behind you. These stones were meant to be a memorial so that they wouldn't say, look what we did. They'd look and say, look what God did. They're supposed to bring their kids to these stones and say, let me tell you what happened here. So I said before, you can't live off the miracles of yesterday, but you really should remember it. And you have to tell them. We talked about Psalm 78 a few weeks, a couple weeks ago on a Sunday. And um, I just find that so beautiful that God says to his people, we will not hide your works from our kids, but we will tell them what God has done and remind them to put their confidence in God. To not tell the stories of God's good hand and God's good work and God's signs and wonders, to not tell the stories is to hide them. 
There's so many times we think, well, you know, my kids don't need to hear that. My kids don't need to hear what God did back then. Oh, they're probably tired of me telling the story. You have to tell these stories. You have to remind them what God did. That's called giving him glory, isn't it? Thanksgiving is when you say it to God. I mean, Thanksgiving is saying, thank you, Lord. But giving him glory means you're telling other people, this is what the Lord did. We got to tell these stories. You know, we have great, uh, great men and women of God come preach to us and speak to us throughout the year at different times. And I love the messages they have. But, you know, one of these days, I just want to have a whole set of meetings where all they do is just tell stories of what God did. Because we need to remember it. And we need to tell our kids about it. And we'll have our own to tell our kids about. There's a reason you pile these stones up. And the Bible tells us that, that whenever this book was written, those stones still were there as a memorial to what God did. That God went before us into the Jordan. That God stood with us in the Jordan. And that God brought us to the other side of the Jordan. That's the memorial of the people of God. What are the stones that you've placed in your life? Where are the memorials you've placed in your life? Listen, you don't have to go back to that land, right? The Israelites were not meant to go back to Egypt, but do you know how often God brings up what he did in Egypt? A lot. They were never meant to go back to Egypt, but they sure were meant to talk about what God did in Egypt. You shouldn't have to go back to yesterday, but we should be able to look back and say, look what the Lord did. That's why it's important that we're people of honor. Like I said earlier, that we honor those that went before us, that we honor the seasons of the past. Because if we honor that heritage of the Lord, we're honoring God. We're honoring his hand, and faith comes from that. Where there's honor, there's faith. Where there's faith, there's miracles. Where there's dishonor, there's unbelief. And Jesus could do no mighty work because of their dishonor and their unbelief. So we need to honor what God did amongst the previous generation and the generation before. One of the ways we honor it is by talking about what God did. You know the other way we honor it? By going further. I honor the generations that went before me, not just by talking about what God did. I honor the generations before me by saying, I will honor your hard work. I will honor your faith by going further than you went. Because that's what you want. That's what they would have wanted. They want us to go further. And we should go further. Can we do both those things at the same time? Absolutely we can. We can say, thank God for the charismatic renewal of the 70s. Thank God for that. Look what God did. I'm not, we're not going to go and try to dress up like hippies and try to recreate it. But we should thank God. We should look at what God did. And I'll say, God, do even greater in 2016. Why not? Why not when you look back at the Welsh revivals and, and you look back at the, the revivals of, of upstate New York and you, you look at all of these things and say, look what the Lord has done. You don't have to recreate it. God wants to do a greater thing in these days. But honor the hand of God. Now go further. Solomon said, Lord, I need your help knowing how to go out and I need your help knowing how to go in. And that's why that time of consecration is so important. Because it's in those transitions where you need to hear God so clearly. God, show me how to go out. Now show me how to go in. There's a way to enter that new season. There's a way to go out of the old. And there's a way to go into the new. Here's what we got to know. When we go into the new, God's going to do it. 
God's going to show his hand. God uses these victories, these miracles, these wonders to transition us into different seasons. And when that happens, will you recognize what God did? Like we said on Sunday, he said, behold, I'm going to put new roads in front of you. I'm going to do new things I haven't done in the past. I'm declaring it to you. Will you be aware of it? Can we hear God and be aware so that we'll be ready when the time comes to cross the river? You know, I, I, I will close with this thought. It's interesting to me that it was a bit different than the Red Sea. When God brought the children of Israel to the Red Sea, he didn't tell them what he was doing. He just said, stand back. Be still and know that I'm God. And he split the water and then he said, go. But with this generation, he told them a day in advance exactly how they were going to do it. Showed them a blueprint of how he was going to do it. And I believe that that's a sign of maturity as we go on. That we don't just show up and say, well, I guess I'll just go with the flow. Sometimes you go with the flow, but other times God's going to show you ahead of time. Just like he said, I'm declaring it to you right now. God said, I don't do anything without revealing it to my prophets. God is wanting to declare some things to us so that when the time comes to go in, we'll know what to do. There's a way to go in. And I believe God's got promotion in your future. What that means, that's up to God. But I think it'll be good. If you want to be, if you, if you believe that God wants you to be humble, then you got to know God wants to exalt you. If you believe that God's going to exalt you, you got to believe that there's going to be moments in your life that everybody else looks at and says, boy, that looks like a tough battle. And you know, this is my moment of crossing in. The miracle I see here, the, 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 the victory I see here, the hand of God I see here is transitioning me into a new level, into a new place, into a new season. So, Lord, show me how to go out and show me how to go in. And stand back and see that if it was God that brought you in, it's God that's going to bring you through and sustain you when you're there. The same hand of God that brought you in is the hand that's going to keep you there. This is why it's so important that God's the one that exalts. Because if God exalts you, people can't bring you down. If God exalts you, you won't fall. When God exalts you, he can keep you there. Isn't that right? The hand of God, what does it say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. The same hand that exalts you is the hand that protects you. When he says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it's not the thumb pressing down on you saying stay low. It's the hand of God covering you for that moment. Covering you, keeping you, protecting you, guarding you against the attack of the enemy and lifting you. God wants the humble to be exalted. So let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he'll exalt you. And he'll bring you into the promised land. And when you go in, you'll look back and say, I couldn't have done it, God did it. And if God did it, God's doing it, and God will do it. Amen? Stand with me, let's pray.